0: Dr. D here, popping in just to tell you about our friendly neighborhood painting gallery. The painting gallery with no name is a friendly painting competition to encourage accountability and participation within the Greater Furies Finest community. At the end of the season, the Furies Finest Patron Discord will vote on two winners, who will both get prizes, and then we'll raffle out additional prizes to random participants. At season end, we'll announce all of these winners on the show and celebrate one of the best parts of the hop. This season's theme is a two-threat character. MCP, 3D printed or Marvel board game—they'll all count as long as they follow this theme. To participate, take a picture of your unpainted or lightly painted model. Paint the heck out of it. Take four photos of your freshly completed masterpiece and send us all five photos to furypainting at gmail.com by May 1st to submit your entry. Make sure your five pictures have your names on the file so we know where to send the prizes. Good luck and have fun. I speak for everyone when I say we are excited to see what you manage to paint. As of right now, we are at war. How
1: desperate. You
0: call on such lost creatures to defend you. How desperate am I? You threaten my world with war. You steal a force you can't hope to control. You talk about peace and you kill because it's fun. You have made me very desperate.
1: You might not be glad that you did
0: There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if they can become something more. Fight the battles that we never could. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast devoted to discussion of Marvel Christ Protocol and the Marvel Universe. My name is Jesse Agin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Ruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? It's
1: a big week, Jesse. We got a lot. We got a lot going on. Can't wait to talk about more of it, but as far as marvel crisis protocol goes and fury's finest awesome week we got some games in recently i got my butt handed to me twice learned a lot though very fun <laughs> great night i
0: had some fun games that night too and we're probably gonna dive really deep into this particular night right after this and, and, and after dark i got to play magneto for the first time since his release you know like since you and i played him on tts yes and he was a brand new model Correct. And you said I never want to do that again, Jesse. So <laughs> you're Magneto. There's a lot of people that had their time in the sun with Brotherhood, and I was just letting it happen, especially locally. You guys know I've been on my bad guy kick, learning all these teams that I've either never never played or lightly played, and Brotherhood came up on the docket, and I was super excited to do it. And I played a Brotherhood mirror in the night where we both were three wide. And that was a super interesting game. I believe that. I wish I
1: could have seen more of that game. Otherwise busy, but I got ran through by guardians just yeah. Their dice were hot, mine were not. I also made bad plays, and he did not. Yeah, shout out to Josh. Josh Josh played an excellent game. His new guardians stratagem is pretty pretty
0: good. <laughs> yeah, and Josh and I ended up playing on the final table of this night, spoiler alert. And Chris, you and I did do something we haven't done in a long time. We did stream yes. all, all these games on the Fury's Finest Discord, but our goal is to start streaming those more and more and more on this Furious Science Discord, but then eventually get back to the Twitch, get that going again. Right. That and plans are that. in motion. I will say, like we did in the early days, stream on Twitch. So yeah. So just keep an eye on the Discord for that, and of course Twitch one day. But we'll talk more about that on After Dark because Chris, we're back in Shield today, which is very exciting. Last episode, we talked Nick Fury. Junior leader of Shield. We kind of laid the groundwork for our discussion going forward. We're going to be covering Shield over these next couple primary show episodes, which will be very exciting. And we had to jump into a very important episode today. A very
1: important character to the Shield lore and strategy. Oh, it's going to be a good one. It's more than just one character. This is uh this is comic history. This is one of the most in-universe influential characters Marvel's ever had. I mean it. Come on, it's Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos today. Uh, More S.H.I.E.L.D. Moreover, a three-threat character I think is very good and has not been quite explored enough. I think there's a lot of weird things yet to be done. Sure. With uh, Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos on the MCP table. And maybe we can... uh, jumpstart someone's imagination today?
0: Hopefully so. I'm really excited to get into it, and especially this lore of this iconic character. But before we do that, let's tend to some business.
1: Fury's Finest is supported by Mr. Laser. Go to mr-laser.square.site for all of your non-local gaming store Marvel Crisis Protocol needs. Fury's Finest is also supported by iWarGame. Go to
0: iwargame.net for the best marked mcp mats in the business keep an eye out for volume two coming in the future of more maps of different varieties which i am going to buy one of each chris i'm very excited about it because <laughs> you know cities are great cities are a staple of this game without it we we couldn't have this game i mean they're, they're like the cheese pizza of this
1: game but well, I mean, so much of Marvel continuity is set in New York City, man. Of course. We can't we can't get around it. But you got to break out from that cheese pizza, that
0: pepperoni pizza mold sometimes and get something like a supreme or, you know, meat lovers or
1: or veggie pizza. Put some figs on that thing.
0: Oh man, fig pizza is so good. Yeah, I had a fig and prosciutto pizza not terribly long ago that was out of this world. But Hopefully, you know, there's a lot of creatives out there in the community making different types of boards. And I'm hoping that uh, iWarGame and other companies in the future just make more tables that are outside of that city mold. Definitely, because our game is so creative. And it rewards creativity in a lot of ways. So check out Mr. Laser and iWarGame. Of course, we cannot do this show without our patrons. Our patrons support us at patreon.com slash finest. If you enjoyed the show, consider supporting us with a monthly contribution and getting immediate access to our private Discord community. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. This week, we want to send a very special shout out to the other BK. What up, BK? Thank you, BK. And of course, Chris, we cannot do this show without our Avenger producer team. Rusty, Dylan, Rich, Jason, Puyon, Charles, and Sean. Sean joined the last episode. And that also means, Chris, that our Avenger slots are about to be filled up. We have a cap. So if you've been thinking about being an Avenger, jump onto that, you know. But we really appreciate our Avengers for their time. And we cannot do the show without them. All right, Chris, it's time to get over to Nick Fury Sr. and the Howling Commandos lore.
1: That's right, Jesse. So we have not just a character to talk about today. We have an entire group of warriors. This group has changed over the years. But of course, these particular characters, we talk about the MCP snapshot of a character, I feel, most lore weeks. And the snapshot of this particular model is clearly during World War II. So I think it's pretty safe to say that this is the original Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos. This is not Nick Fury, the suave shield agent. This is not Nick Fury faking his death, killing scrolls. This is not the Secret Warriors. This is the original. This is the beginning. I think that's cool. Of course, we're going to talk a lot more about what Nick Fury is and what he's done in the Marvel Universe. Can't just focus on the World War II aspect, because there's just not enough there. But first, let's talk a little bit about the Howling Commandos. And any time you talk about the Howling Commandos, you have to start with the man himself, Corporal Timothy Alias Cadwallader Dum-Dum Dugan, one of the dumbest names in comics, and I love him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, when introduced, he's introduced as an Irishman. He will be retconned to being a Bostonian, but he is a former circus strongman. He will become Nick Fury's right-hand man throughout most of his life, really. And comically enough, during this time, during the Howling Commandos, he occasionally touches on why he enlisted, and that's Mm -hmm. because of his wife, Ugg, and his mother-in-law, Double Ugg. Kind of some didn't age very well 1960s comedy. right? But also... He he says he prefers fighting Nazis to dealing with his wife and mother-in-law, a miserable existence, I imagine. So let's move on to Private (laughs) Isidore Izzy Cohen. Izzy is the first demonstrably Jewish-American comic book hero, also a master mechanic. And this is the perfect time to say it. The... Howling Commandos are an integrated unit. Mm-hmm. And for their time, for the 1960s, in a World War II book, that is a big deal. Uh, yeah. World War II books at the time are white men fighting against white men, and that anything else is not exactly socially acceptable. Not that this book is really trying to push a social agenda back in the 60s. it's just This is just kind of how Stan Lee and Jack Kirby were, you know? Yeah. Let's move on to another significant member of the famous Howling Commandos. This is going to be Private Gabriel Jones. Gabriel Jones is an African-American serving with the Howling Commandos. One of the interesting things about him is he's the first African American in Marvel Comics to be depicted, uh, you know, as a hero uh, to fight alongside everyone—white European yeah. characters, white yeah. European characters, Jewish characters, everybody. This was this unit was a family. And but Gabriel Jones, uh, not to be confused with Black Panther, of course. Black Panther, as we touched on in our Black Panther episode, T'Challa is not American. He is. Yeah, He's from Wakanda, which is in Africa. He is African. So he's not an African-American superhero. Gabriel Jones is not a superhero. He is an African-American hero. Uh, He is a soldier in World War II, and he's an excellent one. I don't know. I think it's great.
0: Well, and he's notable, just like how Dum Dum is, because they're the two miniatures on this base in this
1: game with Fury. Very, very excellent point. And I think that was an excellent uh, choice. Yes. By Atomic Mass. You know, if we could have got Izzy, that'd be cool. But you know, can't win them all. So let's move on to Private Dino Manelli. He's modeled after Dean Martin. He's a swashbuckler, mm. handsome. He's fluent in both Italian and German. Private Robert Rebel Ralston is an ex-jockey from the from Kentucky. Next, we have Private Percival Pinky Pinkerton, loosely modeled after real-life commando and movie actor David Niven, he would replace the man we're about to talk to next, who, Jesse, also is kind of a big Marvel Comics first, Private Jonathan Jr. Juniper, probably the first character in comics to permanently die. One of the first heroes in comics to permanently die. He is killed on a mission in issue two and has never resurfaced or come back in marvel comics Uh, this was a huge deal at the time of course because it was the first time it happened so uh, another first for marvel comics and another kind of groundbreaking thing here for the howling commandos next is private eric koenig Uh, koenig is a defector from nazi germany and he joins the squad in issue number 27 Private Jim Marita is an American of Japanese descent, serving in the U.S. Army as a Ranger during World War II. He's going to join the squad at the behest of Captain Happy Sam Sawyer. Last but not least will be Private Jacques Frenchy Dernier. He's a member of the French Resistance uh, and will kind of fall into the squad as time goes. A lot of diversity, Chris, of people from
0: different nationalities, races, oh, yeah. and backgrounds. Like you said, Stanley and Jack Kirby. This, yeah, and There's this is awesome all in the. Here.
1: This is all in the early to mid '60s, too. I mean, yeah, early, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, this is this is sixty years ago. Not insignificant by any means. I, I think this is very cool. Well, it's very um, awesome for this
0: particular storyline because it is very American. You know, a lot of the, as in like a lot of people from different nations unifying against the greater mm, threat, which of course- The is,
1: old melting pot. Of course, the greater threat, which is the Hydra Nazi threat and these storylines, you know? That's right, Jesse. And kind of to that point, I want to go ahead and jump forward a little bit, uh, given that this that this is kind of a group of characters. It's not going to go exactly, exactly like all the other episodes, but I think we need to jump forward to the first appearance- And just go ahead and officially get out there. These guys are created by Jack Kirby, Stan Lee. First appearance is in Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, number one. This is going to be printed in May of 1963. Very cool. So to the point of this being kind of a big deal and these characters being less than insignificant, I I think that really kind of makes the point very well.
0: I'm glad, Chris, you led with all the members of the Howling Commandos and their debut because... As you can imagine, listener, a lot of today's discussion is going to be framed around Nick Fury Sr. being the leader of this given group and being the superhero he is, yes, superhero that he is in Marvel for so, so long.
1: He's super interesting, like we touched on in the episode last week about his son, Nick Fury Jr. But Nick Fury, I mean, he's the original, right? That's right. (laughs) He's the namesake for a reason. And let's just touch on his superpowers. Uh, Nick Fury is essentially uh, an average human. Like his son, and like I mentioned last week, he does have some infinity formula going on. He's got some infinity formula shenanigans that keep him at peak physical condition. He ages extremely slowly. Some wonder if he's immortal. So like we said last week, this is this guy is, he's he's maybe not, you know, six seven or whatever, he might be average height, but this is this is an Olympic level athlete. This is this is LeBron James just kind of out and about. Like he is he is big, he's strong, he's fast, he's well trained. And as you can imagine, being so involved with SHIELD and the figurehead of SHIELD, later fighting SHIELD and then eventually becoming the true leader of SHIELD, he's got a lot of gadgets. Mm-hmm. And plans within plans within plans. So, as mentioned with this infinity formula, for a while he's going to get this injected once a year annually. It's going to keep him spry, going to keep him looking, you know, keep him looking nice, keep that hair nice and tight. I- eventually, he's going to, the last of the infinity f- formula is going to be used up. He's going to sacrifice that last dose for Bucky Barnes to save old Buck. Nice. But, you know, it's comics, so there's a, we can't have too much change too rapidly so we we, we retcon that a little bit too there was enough in his in his system still that he's still aging slowly and still very very potent in all these things but yeah like i said this infinity formula does give him a little bit increased strength uh speed agility all all, all these things
0: when similar to all these other characters like he's
1: just highly trained in everything on top There's of also that feature that he's hand-to-hand combat weapons he is so trained that it is literally impossible to be this trained in real life this is this is marvel comics trained he is i mean he's a master he's probably the best military strategist yep on on in the marvel 616 universe and he fought in three major wars: World War II, Korean War, and Vietnam, oh, and, and so much more. I mean, think yeah. about all of the think about all of the things he's been through. He's been a Marvel major. Wars. Yeah, there there is not a major team or character hmm. in the Marvel Six One Six where Nick Fury has not appeared in their comic at some point. Absolutely, this yeah. guy is this guy is the invisible hand in a lot of ways behind the scenes. The probably the good guy power broker uh in in the 616 i mean it i i'm serious in 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 kind of kayfabe in universe fury's the man he's it yeah
0: he's like the kevin bacon point for a lot of people you know seriously i mean degrees the degrees of separation from fury in the marvel universe are very limited between every character you know it's crazy you can like get to him through different ways and gotta talk about his eye chris it's iconic. Well,
1: I think we're going to touch on the eye here uh, through lore. But it, it, it really, the eye, you know, we'll just use this as a jumping point into lore, Jesse. And I will start the discussion by kind of talking about his kind of awkward publication history. Oh, let's do so, it. So not only do we have this, this first appearance, of course, this World War II action title. This is a, a hot style of comic book in the 60s. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, you know, America is very, very proud of itself. It's, it's the sixties. Patriotism is all the rage. We are ultra national and we are, we are celebrating American ingenuity at every chance we can get. World War II books, massive appeal. Mm. But after their introduction, Jesse, Fury's going to start appearing in his own stories in strange tales. Which eventually is going to become, you know, Doctor Strange's book, right? But for a while, like we've discussed in in many characters that we've talked about their their history in Marvel Comics, uh, like many other characters, uh, they appeared in this anthology book, and Nick Fury is one of them. And, but this is a different Nick Fury, Jesse. This is 007 Nick Fury, espionage. Mm-hmm. But not only that, there's a difference in appearance in these two characters. World War One, Nick Fury and Sergeant Nick Fury and his Howling Commandos. There is no eye patch. Strange Tales. There is a full on eye patch. Oh yeah. Now in an issue, this will be explained a little bit in an issue of Sergeant Fury's and his Howling Commandos, where he is his eye is injured by some shrapnel from a grenade. Uh, it doesn't appear to be too bad at first, but through the magic of of comics and time, uh, clearly the the eye eyesight uh degraded and it yep. became necessary for him to start using an eye patch we say i say necessary here that might not be Perception. true it's it helps but he also this is marvel 616 yeah. he could have had this eye replaced removed uh cybernetically any, enhanced any number of things jesse but when asked about it fury would always say well this is my easiest course to have a disguise <laughs> when you're looking for Nick Fury you're looking for a man in an eye patch and oh, yeah. I, I believe samuel l jackson actually did this in the mcu i think he touched on this um mm. in, in one of the post scene credits or near the end of one movie uh, but when you're looking for a man with an eye patch and all you see is just a bunch of normal guys with two yeah. functioning eyes and some sunglasses or whatever right you're not really you're not finding <laughs> nick fury right so spy stuff it's some spy stuff, dude. He also seems like the type of guy too
0: that would, what's the word, Chris? There's some sort of ego there where he's also like, he doesn't want to inconvenience someone to do a surgery to replace an eye when he's doing fine with one. Oh, that's
1: he's, the, he's doing better with one than most can do with two. So yeah. So he's like, let's why us he resources on this? That's not, yeah. Why, why fix what's not broken? You know, I think that's a, that's a great point in a, this is a, a reminder very, of the Nazis. <laughs> exactly. And that's such yeah. a, that's such a 1960s type of type of yeah. mentality
0: too. But he really found his footing in world war II, Right. So it's like the fact that this battle wound happened in world war II, is iconic for his character, right? Cause moving forward, he always ha- carries it in life and maybe it's he true.
1: likes that reminder. I don't know. You'd have to read a lot of Nick Fury to find that out. And that's I'm right. not, I'm not saying you shouldn't let's quickly touch upon where Nick comes from. Nick is born the eldest of three children to Jack Fury and he is raised he's raised in Hell's kitchen. He's very much a product of the Great Depression in many ways. I mean mm-hmm. this character really is is a leg- is a legacy American character. He is modern there's a lot of modern American uh, social history wrapped up in Nick Fury. And I think uh, many talented writers have been able to bring that out from time to time. So all three Fury kids are going to grow up in Hell's Kitchen, as I mentioned. Nick is going to become an amateur boxer. He's going to join the New York City Police Athletic League, where he's going to learn marksmanship. And he's going to go overseas for the first time in 1937 to fight in one of the international brigades in the Spanish Civil War. Mm. He's going to be on leave in Guernica when the fascists will bomb it. This will, you know, this is going to play a major theme in his life. He's going to be an anti fascist for a, uh, the rest of his life, you know, and I think yeah, this, this kind of helps shape that. So after returning to America, he's going to leave Hell's Kitchen in search of adventure. Uh, he's going to do this with his buddy Red Hargrove, and they're going to start a death defying, you know, one of those airplane wing walker acts. <laughs> okay? Where yep. they're going to be they're going to be then discovered while do, performing their act by the aforementioned Samuel Happy Sam Sawyer who is a lieutenant at this time. Sawyer was training British commandos at the time, but later after Nick and Red will join the US Army, they're going to go After undergoing training, preparing all this, they're going to return and be kind of stationed under Sawyer. Unfortunately, on December 7th, 1941, Red will be killed in the attack on Pearl Harbor. And this is going to lead to Fury swearing vengeance upon the Axis powers and really jumpstart his kind of ascent to being a hero, I I would say. Sawyer, who had advanced to captain at this point, is going to assign Nick Fury to command the first attack squad, a company for, a, for the U.S. Army Rangers, who will quickly be renamed the Howling Commandos, a title Winston Churchill will give them after their first mission. They earn this nickname, this honorary title, Uh, for their very distinctive kind of war howl. And, um, you know, you can't, I'm not going to try to recreate it here. I'm just not, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, of course I want to touch on a little bit of the publication history now of, uh, Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, because this is kind of the end of the story for our snapshot of this character as it pertains to MCP. Um, this series is going to run for a while. Issues one through eighty will all be original issues. Okay. Uh past this, I, I think into the one somewhere into the 120s. It's going to be from issue 81 to I think 124. I could be wrong, but it's somewhere in that range. Uh we're going to get a mix of reprints of already written issues and original issues. And then we're going to trans kind of move into only reprints for the last 60 or 70 issues or so. So kind of a, a, an interesting title, not as much original content as it would seem. Okay. But this is the title that you're going, that this kind of, this model is based on, you know, you're going to get a lot of world war II action stories, uh, some more actiony, you're going to get some uh, slice of life, some kind of challenging Uh, morally challenging issues for the time. All in all, I think a a pretty good series, especially for the time, but it is a product of its time. So with this touched on Jesse, let's move on and kind of establish what Nick Fury is going to do through more kind of bring you up to speed on Nick Fury, what he's going to do for the next few years. Uh, After World War II, Fury will kind of transition it into being a CIA espionage expert. This is going to be spy Fury. This is where the signature eye patch will really start to come in. Uh, we've kind of already touched on that while talking about some publication history stuff. Right. Uh, he's going to have his first encounters with superheroes. He will recruit Richard and Mary Parker. Of course, who will be the parents of Spider Man. He will of course, ally with Spider-Man from time to time in the future. Uh, The Fantastic Four, uh, you know, he's really going to start coming into contact with superheroes during the stint in the CIA. And from the CIA, we're going to transition into becoming the second commander of S.H.I.E.L.D. He is the public face of S.H.I.E.L.D. Everyone kind of thinks he runs S.H.I.E.L.D., but in reality, there is an anonymous group of 12 people not even Fury knows who they are. Uh I'm sure you've seen this trope in in yep. cartoons and television shows since this but you know the the shaded figures on television uh you know anonymous figures that are just silhouettes uh, on, appearing on a television in front of you you know dressing you down and giving you your orders that is what he's dealing with here. He is at the mercy of this Council of Twelve. Eventually, it will come to light that this Council of Twelve has been compromised, and that S.H.I.E.L.D. and HYDRA have essentially been two arms of the same organization for a while. That is when Fury will wage his war against S.H.I.E.L.D. Awesome. Fake his death for years. You know, we're going to go into all of these these wild things. And this is when he's going to be, during this time, post-Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh post that comic running which is one of my recommends for this week uh when he takes over shield strinko with the absolutely amazing mind bending art truly a delight mm. anyway so this is this is going to be the period of time after after that comic is going to come to an end where Fury is going to not have a book. He's going to be showing up in other people's book. This is when he becomes the the background character pulling all of the strings. Uh, he doesn't necessarily drive sales, but he's so important in terms of storytelling. Just an absolutely go-to character. And of course, mm. with, with him being this kind of go-to character for the man behind the scenes, pulling strings or maybe showing up out of nowhere. And it being him being one of the only believable characters to be able to do so Oh yeah, uh, because he's proven, you know, over time to be willing to do whatever is necessary. Fake his death for 20 or 30, you know, how many years just completely, completely cut people off, you know, and not talk to his friends for years because he's playing at some angle, just all of these things. He's a master of espionage. It's very cool. Long game. Yeah. Always. Always. Always future planning. Future proofing, I guess, in a lot of ways. Truth. So this is gonna kind of lead, of course, to modernity, where Fury's gonna play a pretty big role in Secret Invasion. And I think this is this is a really fun era because this everything that's gonna happen with Secret Invasion and how he deals with this scroll invasion. Which is extremely pertinent to now, Jesse, as the secret invasion portion of Marvel, is uh, the MCU, is really about to ramp up. And Fury's about to play a big role in that. I cannot wait. But as far as how this went down in the 616 comics, he clearly played a major role. I don't want to spoil everything for you because I want you to read it. But he is extremely influential in a lot of things here. Pulling a lot of strings. Uh, introducing a lot of new, younger heroes kind of some wild Professor X style tactics that are not always the best, but you know, excellent storyline secret invasion is and uh, really proof of how cool Nick Fury can be. But of course, post secret invasion, we're going to go into dark rain and secret warriors. Uh, secret warriors is an absolutely awesome, awesome book. This is my other reading recommendation for the week. I have mentioned many a time, my love for Jonathan Hickman. And Hickman was pretty involved in this secret warriors run, especially volume one. The books created by uh, Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev, also excellent, excellent creators. Uh, I love Maleev's art and you know, Bendis has taken relieving sometimes, but Bendis and Hickman plot this out. This book is absolutely awesome. It is Nick Fury at his best. It releases in February of 2009. So Fairly modern, uh, like I said, this is this is some classic Hickman stuff. Bendis with Bendis's influence, art's pretty cool. Excellent, excellent run. But this is going to get Fury and Dum Dum back as major players in you know a monthly comic book in the two thousand late two thousands and early two thousand tens. So that sets them up to be around you know even now. Now after Dark Reign and dealing with Norman Osborn. Fury and the Secret Warriors are going to be active during the Siege storyline. They will move into the Heroic Age with Fury remaining underground. The Heroic Age post-Siege is going to be uh, also when Fury is going to save Bucky with that last bit of Infinity Formula. And that's going to take us into where we're going to stop lore today, Jesse. That's going to take us up to Battle Scars and, of course, I recommended Battle Scars last week, right? For reading, Battle Scars is where Nick Fury Jr. is going to be introduced, and we've already talked about Fury's part in that story. That's going to take us up to Modernity. There's been some kind of wild changes to Fury's character of late. I would recommend you check that out. He is kind of he's got a new name, Jesse. He goes by the Unseen now. Uh, so that's a little taste of of what you have left to learn about uh, what's going on with Nick Fury in present day comics. So Jesse, that brings us to his appearances in the MCU and it's mm-hmm. kind of a weird one, right? It is a weird one because we actually don't have this
0: version of Fury. We do not. I have a special shout out to a non-canon 1998 fox movie nick fury agent of shield
1: oh yes excellent work excellent work jesse oh my gosh
0: a mess of a movie but also fun um you know, this is that era where it's like, you know, Marvel was almost bankrupt at a given time, Chris. And a lot of this was saved by other people keeping the license going, you know, frankly, putting money into it. And one of those companies was Fox, of course. And, um, you know, when we've talked on this very show about how Blade kind of saved Marvel in a lot of ways, and it's all in this era. So, yeah, 1998, written by David Goyer, of all people, you know, who is the guy who did Blade, So this is one of those things like he had to make this pre-Blade to make Blade immediately after, kind of learn from his mistakes or, you know, things that worked and didn't work and stuff. But Hasselhoff as Fury, it's a good fit. I mean, clearly the character, it's one of those things now that like kind of similar to our discussion last week where it's like Fury was clearly designed before Hasselhoff was in the limelight. But as the years went on, Fury kind of got more Hasselhoff looking. And then, in fact, AMG kind of went the route. Of the Hasselhoff looking Fury, like just the straight Hoff. up. Yeah, the Hoff Fury. So it is what it is. Nick Fury is
1: huge in Germany.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. But I will now talk about the actual MCU, which is Captain America, the first Avenger, no Fury. But all of the Howling Commandos, which is great. Uh, Howling Commandos, most notably f- for our purposes today, Neil McDonough, who plays Timothy Dum-Dum Dugan. Neil, of course, is a, an actor we see all over the place. He's, he's somebody who has been in a lot of primary roles and, of course, in a lot of B and C character roles. And then, of course, Derek Luke playing Private Gabe Jones. Uh, but we also had Kenneth Choi as Jim Marita, J.J. Field as James Montgomery Fallsworth. Bruno Risi as Jacques. And then we had Lex Shrapnel as Gilmore Hodge. So it's one of those things where it's like we have this diverse cast playing all the Howling Commandos. But for our most, for notable for our purposes, obviously, Dum Dum and Gabriel bring the spotlight for us today. Dum Dum, of course, a major B character in this very movie. You know, that
1: that bowler hat, you know, that bowler hat, that Dum Dum always has, he's always got that signature bowler hat on. Uh, Usually with that full mustache, like you mentioned, very iconic looking character.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it really does. He has that like Irish Bostonian look, you know, I mean, we've got that in spades and, um, you know. Neil growing a full red mustache like this. I mean, it just works quite well for the character. But we see the Howling Commandos in this film work with Cap mainly,
1: and they did. Uh, they did in the in the original comic uh, from course. time to time as well, which is really cool.
0: I just like how the MCU kind of was like they made a decision of the Fury they were going to go, mm-hmm. and they kind of gave Cap more of Fury's duties in these comic storylines in the MCU as the primary leader, as the, honestly, the fury of the Howling Commandos on these missions, you know, and you see the missions in this film. And of course, like, this is their movie. This is their the movie we see Cap out of his suit, like in his fatigues with the Howling Commandos um, leading them to victory. And uh, it works. And the casting is great. And they have a great dynamic with the whole team, not to mention this is Bucky's first film. And of course, we know Sebastian's going to become a superstar after this. And this is kind of his first foray into everything as well. So uh, great dynamics to everybody. Yeah
1: absolutely and it's kind of weird how well that movie kind of holds up and not only that but yeah. just how good that movie was of all the characters <laughs> to have such a surprisingly good movie captain america you know he's always just i, I i'm sure we touched on this on his episode, even he's just you know he's the Boy Scout. Absolutely, and I I think credit where credits due.
0: MCU since Favreau's Iron Man was so successful, they shelved up the money for this. I mean, this cast is star studded. You got Hugo Weaving playing Johann Schmidt, Sam Jackson as Fury. You know, we've got Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter the first time. We've got you know all sorts of actors like Dominic Cooper playing Howard Stark, Tommy Lee Jones playing Colonel Phillips. I mean, Tommy me Lee Jones. like They they showed up mm-hmm. the money. Richard Armitage, one of my favorite people who's ever played Logan, who plays Logan in these, these audio podcasts I've recommended on this podcast so many times, as Heinz Kruber, you know, as a villain, a side villain character. Stanley Tucci, you know, Toby Jones. Like, I talked about Neil McDonough as Dum Dum, right? Like, the list goes on and on. So I think they really, the unknowns were really good in this. And then all the established actors obviously brought it. And it was just like, the rest is history, right? <laughs> I mean, like, we've got several people's careers who were fully launched by this movie all the way, you know, I mean, most notably Haley Atwell, Sebastian Stan and Chris Evans. I mean, Chris, Evans, of course had been in the limelight before, but this was it. (laughs) This is the movie. And, uh, you know, you bring things like Sam Jackson and Hugo weaving to support those actors. And you've got a great set piece. And I also like that Sam Jackson, uh, does make an appearance in this movie, you know, Future tense, you know, de-icing, you know, cap yeah. stuff, and uh, we do, we do get Fury in this movie, but that's the MCU, Chris, because we don't actually have Fury Senior in the MCU. As we mentioned last time, we Fury Senior for us in the MCU is Sam Jackson. All right, Chris, closing out, Laura, like we
1: always do, give us your comic book recommendations. Absolutely, I've mentioned them once, but we're gonna go with Nick Fury, Agent of Shield, with most importantly that Jim Sterinko art. We're also going to go with Secret Warriors Volume
0: 1. Mm. Very good. All right, Chris. Well, now it's time to move on to Nick Fury and the Helling Commandos in strategy. This is going to be a mouthful. <laughs> Their names are Nick Fury and the Helling Commandos. They are our first instance in the game thus far of a multi-named character unit. So we have Nicholas Fury Sr., timothy dum-dum dugan and gabriel jones as their alter egos they are three threat character their defenses are three physical three energy three mystic they are a medium-sized base with a medium move and a size of two and a stamina of five chris on their healthy side and on their injured side kind of thematically cool their stamina goes up to six it's not as good as obviously the inverse we always know it's better you like to see that but it's nice like I, I like it more than them just being five again, you know?
1: Correct. Any thoughts? Pretty solid, standard three threat stuff starting off here, Jesse. The one thing I do really want to touch on is medium move on a medium base. And it's very reminiscent of spider foes, in my opinion. Of course, that is the that is what I think of when I think of medium move, medium base, because they have the, the kind of largest concentration off the top of my head of characters that have that. And something that's really nice about that is at the end of the round, even if you're only four wide, if you've got two or three medium bases in there, you're going to be where you need to be. It's not as nice as a long move, of course, but it is very versatile. It is a little more, they they cover more ground than the regular small base. And I think that is very, very worth mentioning. Yeah, it's basically
0: comparable to a long move on a small base and similar to something like Venom where he's a medium base with a short move is kind of comparable to a medium move on a small base so there's a lot of nuances there's a lot of millimeters and inches differences but they're certainly faster than most units like this in the game and you know it's going to come into play a lot on this discussion on this card because there are some movement things they can do absolutely but we got to get into their attacks chris they have three attacks First of which is a physical attack called Prototype Weapons. It's arranged for strength of five, zero power cost attack. After the stack is resolved, the character gains one power. So it's a gainer, not a true builder. And on a wild, you're going to trigger Pursuit before damage is dealt. Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos may advance towards the target character short. Keep in mind, you got to advance inside that box, but you don't have to go straight on. You can can go sideways, you know, as long as you're in that box. I think it's a mistake a lot of new players make. They think they're thinking traditional miniatures games. Everything has to go directly in a certain direction at all times. Well, that's very true with like pushes and stuff. But, you know, in this game, these advances, you can you can kind of do a lateral move. And I find this very cool because, once again, their medium move is coming into play, so they get a little nice scoot, really.
1: Yeah, it's a good scoot. You're not always going to get that wild, though, let's be honest. No, no, not on... I mean, on five dice, it's going to happen a lot more than four. But, I mean, and let's be honest, uh, with the being able to go have a little leeway with where you go on your advances is much more true to life than Mm. just, you know, drawing a straight line and, and going that straight line. There's a lot more nuance. There's a lot more, there's a lot more room to kind of maybe find some cover to get a, get a cover on those block dice, things like that.
0: It can also get you back on a point if like a character pushed you. Right. So it's a nice way. And also we'll just get all pretense out of the way. It's a really nice tool to get into range three, which these next two attacks are range three without taking a move action, which is huge. Yeah. It's really huge because they are a
1: turret character They want to shoot as
0: much as possible, but they'll want to do it from a safe spot. Correct.
1: And speaking of shooting, this next attack, I am a huge fan of. This is an energy attack. It is grenades with an exclamation mark. Love it. All caps. Range three, strength of four, power cost of one. After this attack is resolved, the target character gains the incinerate special condition. This is no trigger. This happens automatically. The only way it doesn't happen is if they're immune to incinerate. So... This is great. You're, this is an autom- one dice. You're putting a condition on them, potentially getting through some damage. This is yep. good.
0: Obvious direct comparisons with Domino's Grenade and Agent yes. Venom's Grenade. Though, I will say, Agent Venom's Grenade, slightly better because the opponent can't modify their dice against him with the Symbiote Instincts. And Domino's gray- Grenade... Much better because it ignores cover and line of sight because she's domino and she can bounce that grenade exactly in the lucky spot. But at the end of the day, this ability is you basically just saying, I'm ready to pay one to get an incinerate out. Really. And if the the grenade spikes at all, which, you know, it can happen. It can can or cannot happen. But you're really looking for the incinerate first because then you're going to pour on attacks with the rest of these guys' actions and the rest of your team after the grenade's on the target. We know how impactful incinerate is in this game. And incinerate is like math wise, it really starts doing a lot to the dice, especially with these D8s, which are so explosive. You take away more D8s, it just starts making things happen much quicker. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's better than just double tapping with the prototype weapons in a lot of instances. And especially, especially if it's a large character with a large health pool, it is always better to do the grenade first. And then pour on the the attacks after that. Because I think a lot of people read this, Chris, and they say, I'd rather do some five and six strength attacks. You know, spoiler for the next attack being six strength. But that's all good and all for a lower threat, lower health character, definitely. Like the math kind of works better on that. But someone like a Thanos, a at the Hulk or whatever, like you want to yeah. get that out as quick as possible and just really start that value for your whole team. And these guys mm-hmm. can do it. And it's incinerate on command, which I love. Though I did mention it does have the weakness of being range three and it's at odds with their basic attack at range four. So something to
1: keep in mind. And now it's time for the last attack. It is a physical attack. The show's over is the name on this one. It is range three, strength of six power cost of three before choosing a target nick fury and the howling commandos uh, may choose whether the attack is physical or energy on a wild you will trigger it on after this attack is resolved nick fury and the howling commandos may make a prototype weapons attack so with six dice you're looking for that wild you get that wild we're throwing another five dice for an 11 dice in one not not Technically one attack, but one attack action. Yeah, and that is awesome. This is a three threat character. I will remind you.
0: Yeah, you're cheating attack actions right now. You are looking for wilds, which is scary. But if you guys are just full, full, full on power, which is unlikely with the, some of the super powers coming up. But if they are, especially if they just flipped or something, just go for it. Go for it with these shows over. I love that the attack type can be physical or energy, so it's almost giving you a quasi incinerate because you are choosing your opponent's weakest defense and. This can trigger in a lot of interesting ways. You can do the pour it on you can get the wild on this tech, get the pour it on prototype weapons, gain a power back, which you've you've actually refunded the cost of this from three down to two automatically, because you automatically gain that one on the prototype weapons. And then if you get really lucky and get the two wilds back to back, you get that pursuit with prototype weapons mm-hmm. and um maybe, you know, move somewhere a little bit safer. You know, after all, this is said and done, but it's very cool. I think the biggest part of this is, as Chris said, the ability just to give more saturation of attacks, which is the theme of shield shield is not good at attacks but they are very good at saturation of attacks and they will find the spike when they need to because they are a gun line and that's what they're good at. And they're not good at like big, big attacks, but they're good at kind of cheating in more attacks through different means. And this is one of them.
1: This is one of them. And it's an excellent mechanism for that. But continuing the theme, Jesse, I think we have to move on to the superpowers Yep, because we're talking about saturation of attacks and what's just a huge bummer when you're playing a a big character with big attacks. That huge bummer (laughs) is having to move with them, right? You wanna attack twice every round. So Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos, they've got something to help you out. This first superpower is an active superpower. It is siblings in arms, and it is a power cost of two. Choose another allied character within range two of Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. Place this character within one. Place Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos within one of the chosen character or place the chosen character within one of Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos. A character can be placed by the superpower only once per turn. So, a few things here, Jesse. This is very, very similar to the Storm Hop. This yep. is very similar to Bump in the Night. Better than Bump in the Night. Yes, it is better, but it is similar type thing. We did this
0: recently. We talked about the power of the superpower very recently when we did our Inhuman series and... Medusa's Royal Decree and how right. powerful it is. It's the exact same ability as Royal Decree, except
1: better because you have a larger base model doing this. Mm-hmm. So now we have a, a medium base model to hop one of these big heavy hitters off of or to move Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos into the right spot. But the, I think the most important thing about this to really, really wrap your head around, we know how places work. We we know how to work, you know, the the storm hop. We We know how to do these things. But this is a, this is not just a once per turn superpower. This is once per turn per character. Yeah. If you had the power and you're never going to be able to do this and everybody was in, in within range two or you had everything set up right, the Rube mm-hmm. Goldberg machine set up properly, you could do this to every member of your team, every activation. Right. That's not viable or or really possible, but it is theoretically possible. It's limited
0: the by the fact they only have a gainer, and that's intentional, right? Because exactly. They, if they had a builder, they could they could spike an attack and then just start siblings and arms everyone. But you're right, Chris. On like a gamma scenario or something, the options are present to you, where your team's all around you, right? Everyone's just kind of in the middle of the map, and if you've got exactly. the power, you can do it. I love this so much because this is going to come up aggressively in my affiliation corner discussion. But this is a big enabling thing, like Chris just said, to get a larger piece up the table. And the most interesting part of this attack, Chris, is the first power phase of the game, you get one power on every character. So the Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos have one power. Depending on the game state, the crises, and where your opponent has walked up to get objectives and secures, if you place the Howling Commandos turn zero very well, you could do a play pattern like walk up, shoot the prototype weapons, stay within two of your allies, and then and arm someone up before they have gone on their turn. This is all just round one stuff. Mm-hmm. So in a lot of ways, they're a really strong round one enabler because they can just help your team get in position. I know Vince uses this a lot in his infamous shield list to get dynamo up the field faster. Oh, yeah. So slow, you know? So there's a lot of things you can do. And I I think the biggest part is, you know, if they can walk up and shoot a gainer once, they've got this online and they can start rolling these. And, you know, I think it's very fun. And you also mentioned, too, how they can use it on themselves. Always strong play. I've actually used it with them a lot to do something as crazy as a late game play where I double move, pick up an extract, you know, and hop over an ally to safety. Yeah. You know, like a web warrior move essentially with these commandos.
1: Yeah. It opens up a lot of interesting late game plays. If, yep. if you are willing to let your mind go there, I know if you start thinking of too many possibilities. It can kind of be a little bit overwhelming when it comes to games like this, but the important part is they bring that possibility. And I think that's incredible. Yeah. And just like the storm hop,
0: both players need to always be thinking about this and it, yes. it makes the game state very intense sometimes because you're like, oh, wow, if they hop Hulk, they can like double tap and then jump him back. or Or if they hop the commandos, they can actually do the shows over twice back to back like right now, but they can't because they're outside of range of the shows over. So like, there's a lot of things that can kind of go in conjunction with each other and you know i think a fine play a lot of time chris is like oh i'm at range four with my prototype weapons because i've been sitting here all game here shooting range four but i really want to get that grenade out or something all the siblings in arms my my commandos up grenade somebody maybe walk back you know or shoot you know like get them to safety yeah that's not a terrible play it's you know like sometimes it's not as splashy but it's gonna give you that incremental advantage throughout the game and speaking of incremental advantages and cheating saturation of attacks they have one more superpower that's you know Something they can do as a model before they're innate. They have a reactive superpower called Got Your Back. That's right. It's the same language and cost as Bucky's Got Your Back. It also costs two power. When an ally character is dazed or KO'd by an enemy effect, so keep in mind this is just global, after the effect is resolved, this character may use the superpower this character may make a prototype weapon attack against the enemy character that caused the effect. So you do have to be able to shoot them. You got to be in range of the target that dazed your ally. But once again, this is kind of amazing on them in a different way from Bucky. So Bucky's is amazing because it can spike and it has got rapid fire, right? Theirs is a little bit less impactful as Bucky's, but just as effective, if not in an economy way, more interesting. So Frequently with Bucky, you'll, you'll do, I got your back, you roll your four dice, you didn't get your rapid fire, and you didn't even get any damage through, so you don't even get power, right? Well, these guys, no matter what, they're going to pay for I got your back cost two. They're going to shoot. They're going to get one back immediately. So every time they use I got your back, it essentially costs them one, right? With the caveat of you have to have the two power to pay yep. for it up front. It's kind of like a mystique leadership, right? It's like you got to have the power to pick up the extract to get the power back, right? You got to pay to play, baby. But once they get their power rolling, they're going to have this whole game, right? And this is something you got to think about. You've got to think about always having two power on them to do this when their turn's over, which is very powerful. And, you know, they could also just spike on an enemy, but even if they don't spike, saturation of attacks is she- the way Shield plays. And Shield kind of sets up this defensive puzzle box I've talked about a lot. And this is another part of the defensive puzzle box and another way to cheat attacks and a way to just get chip damage all outside of your own turn. Absolutely. So it's 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 a staple of their card. You want it, you need it, you got to have it. And I think you kind of hinted at it early on, Chris, with their last superpower. It's innate, it's stealth. Characters must be within range three of this character to target it with attacks. Only our second character in the entire game to have a basic gainer attack that's outside of their stealth range. Looking at you, Moon Knight, and these guys, right? So it's like, we know... How strong it is on Moon Knight just to sit on a point, yeah, and throw your crescents and just be in stealth because it is defensive tech, you know. So we d- we did talk about how these guys have no interesting defense stats, you know. Their eleven health total got basic stats for
1: a three threat, but stealth is a lot of defensive tech. Stealth helps a lot. It is very good. I don't have much more to say about it. There, people forget they have it too, which is one hundred percent
0: because yeah, they're not because they're not a
1: stealthy objective runner you know so people exactly just, it leaves their mind I mean the bottom line is sitting back and, and being able to double tap someone from a secure while they cannot target you without burning a move action or a superpower of some sort is as boring as that kind of is mm-hmm. it's good it is good and there's a lot more interesting nuance
0: going on with these characters than even first you can like gather from reading this card and part of it is this stealth part of it is these attacks ranges and a big part of chris is the sibling in the arms because you can put yourself back into stealth range right like at the end of their activation and what do you know they're still scoring i mean ideally the situation for them is they're always scoring a secure and maybe they're scoring an extract too and like now your opponent's really like not feeling great to come into their range but even if they're just scoring a, a secure but when your other allies is holding extract, now your opponent dazes the ally with an extract, they get to do I got your back. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a it's questions abound. So I like it a lot. And I think it's kind of one of those things that is very powerful in the game. To be able to attack outside of stealth range is very unusual. I mean, we know how powerful stealth is on like Mystique, right? But it's like Mystique still has to get into range three to shoot her pistols. Right. Right. And we just know how powerful it is on her moving around the map, right? So imagine if she had access to be able to attack while moving around the map and staying outside of stealth range. So very strong. And obviously this just pays dividends with the fact they're a medium base, medium mover with stealth. It's just easier to keep them in stealth, easier to put them in interesting safe positions, you know, cause they just
1: have more movement. Absolutely. The the interesting thing with shield and I think their kit kind of really illustrates this well is it's a lot of interlocking parts. It's a mm. lot of pieces that move together. Yes. It's kind of a machine in that kind of sense. And I, I find it extremely fascinating. It's very cool. They're probably one of the most
0: rewarding teams in the game to go fully affiliated and also like to learn the mechanisms of the machine of all these pieces working in tandem, because there's so many things working in tandem with this team. And it's more than just... Well, they're they're low health characters with
1: guns that shoot from range. It's more than that, you know. It's a, it's a lot, lot more, more than that. They've got a lot going on. I think they're one of the more complex three threat characters. And Jesse, I'm not gonna lie, their team tactics card <laughs> doesn't make it any less complicated. <laughs> no, and it's really fun. So it's got the it's fun factor. It's very cool, dude. And it's got the complicated
0: factor. Yeah. So infiltration. It's unaffiliated and reactive. If Nick Fury and the Helling Commandos and this card are part of your squad, do not deploy Nick Fury and the Helling Commandos. They are still part of your squad and gain power during the power phase as normal, but they're off the side of the table. During an allied character's activation, if Nick Fury and the Helling Commandos are part of your squad and are not on the battlefield yet, the allied character may then play this card. Place a flare token within three of the allied character that played this card. During the next cleanup phase, Place Nick Fury and the Hellen Commandos within range one of the Flare token. That's right, Chris. They are parachuting in just like our boys did in World War II. And, you know, this card does a lot of interesting stuff that might not be their first
1: glance. Dude, Well, it sets so many things up. Mm. And it's, I mean, there's so many shenanigans that this card could really, really help lead to. Uh, Maybe not all of it is uh, competitively viable, but that doesn't mean it's any less fun. I think it's important to note that they are you are not suffering power disadvantage or anything. They're still gaining power during the power phase, so you're not coming onto the board with a disadvantage. And I guess my biggest question to a an accomplished shield player such as yourself, Jesse, is what is the absolute latest you have kind of held off on playing this card? Have you held off on this till round two ever?
0: No, I don't think so. No. And I've only played this card a couple times uh, to be fully transparent because... Something we'll get to every S.H.I.E.L.D. episode, but the card strain in S.H.I.E.L.D. is unreal. Absolutely. And I think outside of fun, kitchen table games, and obviously this is so fun, like deploying on top of a building or a giant rock feature or something like that. And now you're in cover and you're scoring something and you're shooting down at your opponents. Great. The theme is great. The the play is great. I think this card's strongest competitive feature is a tech against you know the super tall teams really I'll explain what that means it's a way to help your priority be matched with your opponent It's so like say you're playing a Thanos Guardians or like a Black Order or something and and they're very they're three or four wide and you want to try to take that priority token back this might be a way to do that you know you go fairly tall not super tall but fairly tall yourself and then these guys are off the table they're not counting for passing purposes they're not counting for activating purposes and you can take that priority token back and maybe get that first strike on the next round, right? And then these guys come out at that, in that round or something. Right. But I think the toughest part of this card, Chris, which I don't like, is you got to have a plan still to get all your secures and extracts. Yep. And then on top of that, unless you're just in the driver's seat with secures and extracts, this card might just be a detriment to you because you're losing X amount of actions throughout the game. You know, it's like I played a game recently. You know, where it's like we played a local tournament, and Logan got shattered twice by Ulick, right? Two rounds yeah. in a row. I lost four Logan actions without him even being killed. You know, and, and arguably Brutal. that's worse, right? Because he's not even a focus of soaking up damage. It's like he's just not going right. So in a way, this is like. This could hurt you really bad because this is like a Danny Iron Fist, you know? This is like a Doctor Strange activated token or an Ulix Shatter uh, of your bones. I think the toughest part of this is like its strongest power is this sort of scenario we're talking about. And maybe in another scenario where you're like a similar, similar team that's medium width or even a wide team, it's just going to hurt you. So you have to know when to play it. Mm, that's tough. But I'll tell you this. You want to play these guys 95% of all shield games. So like this isn't a bad card to have in your 10 necessarily, you know? Because you know you're going to play them Just for
1: often. when you know it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah,
0: but it's just tough. The card yeah, strain sure. and shield is real because we only have five cards in this game and one of them is already locked with the eye in the sky, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And, then two are, and two are probably locked with our restricteds, right? So. Mm-hmm. Would this be one of your last two in shield at, at a competitive level? I don't think so, but definitely at a kitchen table level and especially if you love Nick Fury senior and the Howling Commandos, you want to play this. It's just too fun because this card too, Chris breaks the rules of like movement and stuff too, because it's just a place, right? So like you exactly. can really, you can put them behind a terrain feature scoring something your opponent thought was safe or get them in, you know, black widow's face. She thought she was scoring a secure and an extract safely on a back point, And now they're plopped down next to her and they're just going to light her up the top of next turn and now they're going to sit back there and do the same thing she was doing in stealth scoring so there's a lot of cool things that can happen with this but it's a game by game basis for sure it's not an auto auto include by any
1: means well i will tell you i was going to maybe save this for uh, the affiliation corner but i'm going to throw it out here now it feels it feels right right now i think there's something here in a force with with angela leading the charge dropping off she-Hulk, and then you play infiltration off of Angela. Now you've got 14 threat on their back line, round one. Yeah. I don't know how viable that is. It clearly is not good against attrition teams, but yeah, yeah. It asks questions though. That's it asks some questions and it forces them to deal with some pretty big things. And you've got your support characters back there to either soak up fire or to go ahead and en- enable She Hulk to double tap every round.
0: Which is not a bad thing either. And obviously they're good in a force and we can just talk yes, relations yes. now, Chris, like we're talking, I think they're strong in a force because they get more power, get around their issue of them only having a gainer so that through them getting more power, they're getting more. I got your backs and more siblings and arms off. And obviously siblings and arms is very powerful with characters like Angela, she Hulk, captain Marvel, to name a few, just to mm. make sure that they get up the board and get to do exactly what they want to do every time they activate, because you will take a subpar activation with these guys to make sure those characters get a better activation, right? So you will happily take a move siblings in arms. I move up to one of those characters, then a siblings in arms, right?
1: And then maybe just
0: one attack with these characters or move back, you know?
1: Well, they're there's such an interesting, they're the intersection of, of support and attrition, right? Yeah, definitely. They're a half support character in a lot of ways. They help you cheat extra attacks, but at, at the end of the day, you just have to decide what role are they fitting maybe in this team or what role are they fitting this round even or this activation. So it can be pretty complex, but the only way to figure it out is to play them, get them on the board. Anyway, that's the question we should be asking ourselves every time we play a
0: three threat, Chris, honestly, because I think some of us get fixated on, I got to do the thing I got to do with this character that they do on this turn. And really it should just be well, I've got several three threat workhorse characters in this game. What's the most optimal thing I need to do right now? Oh, it's I need to double move with this three threat character. Perfect. I'll do that. Right. Very simple. And obviously, all these three threat characters have their quirk. They have their powers that make them shine. But at the end of the day, the game is either won by tabling someone, which is very unlikely or points. And, you know, these guys can uh, do what you need to do at given times. But let's move on to the rest of these affiliations. Chris, right at the gate, top of the alphabet, Sam's Avengers, I think it's a cool spot for them. They are not affiliated, which is a bummer. But between Sam's mini drop-off and between their siblings in arms, you actually can set up a lot of interesting things early, like round one and round two, get some pieces in place. These characters also obviously love the synergy with the Sam leadership. Oh, you days one of my models. Well, Someone moves short, gets a heal. These guys could trigger. I got your back. You could even do the short move with these guys off of the Sam leadership. And then Trigger, I got your back. Because since you are the player responding, you get to choose the order of your response. So say you days, my war machine, I'm going to say, well, Fury Senior is going to move short from the Sam leadership. And then now I'm going to pay two power on Fury Senior and Trigger, I got your back. So a lot of interesting and fun synergy with Sam. And also they're jumping in the Sam spot being another three-threat character, which Sam loves three-threat characters.
1: Oh, yeah. I think they're they're tailor-made for a Sam splash. Absolutely. But they're also good in a lot of other <laughs> affiliations. Jesse, they're just good. They're just good. I know. They're just a solid three threat, right? And Cabal, fine. That's that's
0: great. More power, <laughs> more damage, right? Any version of Cabal. <sighs> Really great in the Malka right? Because you get to deliver him, right? With the sibling. Oh, yeah, dude. Love that. But it's uh, once again, it's about finding the room for them. So let's move on to some more interesting places that might be off the beaten path. One of my favorite places for these guys is the Dark Dimension. Because they're getting two power, round one. Siblings in Arms is online. They can move their max distance. Stay range two of Dormammu. Siblings in Arms, him up. Now he's on the midline, basically. (laughs) And he hasn't even gone yet. Like, absolutely powerful especially on those demons downtown those gamma waves which Dormammu wants anyways and i think they're a great piece because every round they're getting that two power and they're not going to take the detriment from dormami's leadership because they are so good at spending power and they have to spend their power because i mean essentially we just talked about in the in the strategy phase they always want to pay for siblings in arms they always want to pay for i got your back and they always want to do their spender every chance they can and they never have enough power to do all of that right and even add the icing of uh the grenade every once in a while right It's just one more power math in there so i think it's a really cool spot dark dimension but moving on defenders is actually pretty cool for these guys defenders have a lot of large characters that need to be in places to do a lot of things they help with that with siblings in arms though expensive with their power economy Doctor Strange's mystic empowerment on them is kind of insane.
1: Oh yeah, okay. Them shooting from stealth with a mystic attack against a Wolverine or something, right? Like that's awesome. I have not got enough reps with Doctor Strange in this game. Uh, it's it's on the docket. Uh, post post post. <laughs> it's on the docket, but my goodness. That is such an interesting thought. I love that. I
0: foresee much. me returning to Defenders very soon because oh, I have no. missed
1: them, and they were
0: one of my favorite teams early on because I think they're just so, frankly, all over the place in a good way. I mean, they're they're the best of the Avengers
1: and the best of the Convocation and the best of the Midnight Suns, all in one team. You know, so many, so many just excellent characters, and, and I don't just mean like I don't mean just kits. Yeah, I just mean a yeah. wide range of Marvel characters that are all very liked and yeah. uh, in a yeah. very very cool niche you know very mystic very it's it's awesome
0: now chris you already alluded to it but i'll we'll mention it while we're here midnight suns pretty cool spot for them because there are gonna be those times they are outside of range for and it's just kind of a bummer yeah but you're like that's fine i'll bump and then i'll double tap right and then maybe a sivings and arms out like there's a lot of interesting things that can happen that your opponent might, ex- might not expect with them so I think Midnight Suns is a is a really nice place. Also keep in mind we talked about their objective play, being strong with the double move, with the siblings in arms. Now you add a bump into that equation and like we just Gross. we know the power of medium based models in Midnight Suns, quite honestly, because of the bump alone. But closing out with a couple interesting and I think strong places for them to be. Hydra is one of those. And Hydra, we've talked about on the show a lot. You know, people get really fixated on the Hydra leaderships. One gives a lot of power. One does condition shenanigans, heals. Okay, they're good in both those places for obvious reasons. I mean, I think in Red Skulls, Hydra really strong because they're getting Mm -hmm. a lot of power, right? And they're doing stuff. But also the secondary part of Hydra that, you know, should be discussed is they're more than just their leaderships. They are a reroll faction. They have two characters you play all the time, Baron Zemo, Baron Strucker, that have innate rerolls built into them. And this is, what do you know, a turret character. So like turret characters slot so well into teams that have essentially innate rerolls all the time right so right hydra's got like a mini reroll secondary or third string leadership based on top of their leaderships and these guys when they throw the grenade and struck her they're healing right and they're moving conditions Gross. around that's, that's yeah. just cool so Pretty i like good. it a lot so keeping with that theme of like enabling them to do siblings and arms early or bump or things like that because you know when you have a gainer like a lot of things open up because they're guaranteed one of those things is not humans Simple as that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Pass a power from Lockjaw to them. Round one, they're going to siblings in arms, black bolt up the table. Now you're just cooking with gas, right? Like you've already done stuff that you need to, like they've already gotten more value round one than they probably would in a lot of other teams because it's the guaranteed bump. It's the guaranteed hop for someone else, just like Dark Dimension. It makes a lot of sense, right? Very simple. <laughs> and uh, definitely a great place for them. The last two interesting places, I think, are Spider Foes. It's similar thought process to all these other ones, but they can kind of sit on the back, shoot from distance while your other spider foes are kind of invading the opponent's extracts and secures. Fulfilling that support role there pretty hard. Yeah. And they also help models that really struggle with movement like Mysterio and like Venom with their siblings Absolutely. in arms. So, I mean, the rest of the spider foes do not struggle with movement at all. And this team in particular, you might only be enabling the slower models and then themselves with siblings in arms. And that's perfectly fine because they can sit on back on the map and stealth and shoot. And the same thing goes for Winter Guard. I think they're a really, really neat piece in Winter Guard. I think they kind of even fit the theme in some weird ways, but it's like they can potentially do that thing I talked about round one, walk up, shoot siblings in arms, someone up. But at, at their worst... Like you can take them and Bucky and Winter Guard and sit those both those characters on back points and have the rest of your Winter Guard in their little Winter Guard bubble yep. up the map, right? And you got people scoring on the back, shooting from range. You've got literally Dynamo or some major Red Guardian in your face, mm. like just in the fray, right? Pretty nasty. Yeah. So that's that's pretty cool, and obviously. I've already sang the praises of delivering a high threat model, but I think I mentioned Dark Dimension. I think their second best place for that delivering a model or even equal to Dark Dimension is the Sentinels. Just straight up. Oh, yeah. Getting Prime up the table round one. Huge. Like, it doesn't even matter what they do round one, Chris, quite frankly. As long as they can get him up the table. (laughs) Yeah. Like they'll, they'll reposition round, round two where they need to be. Like, say they're not even on a secure or something, like you got unlucky with the objective draw. That's fine. You still got Prime up the table on either a side or up the middle, where, depending on what map it is. Man, he's so good. He's so good. And they actually synergize with Prime really well because he can use his rerolls on their uh, Got Your Backs, too. And you can maybe That's get some awesome. auto activation yeah. kills on your opponent. Like your opponent thinks that let's say your opponent attacks with a ranged character on one of your characters, dazes a model, they shoot at that model, they get primary rolls, and now they've dazed that character before they get their second action, right? That's like the dream, and it's not unlikely in shield and in sentinels both because of those rerolls. And that closes out with shield. I mean, they are the most one of the most essential pieces, just straight up
1: in shield. Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you're playing shield without them, I'm I'm very sorry for you. Uh, Jesse, I'm not going to glossed t- over it. They're only shield affiliated. They're only shield affiliated, but I'm not, I don't want to invade your corner here, mm-hmm. but I do have a place that I think they're very good. Tell me about it. That hasn't been mentioned yet to no one's surprise. <laughs> the Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos, I think have a place if you're trying to play an X force or even a weapon X list. And let me tell you why. A- you need gun lines. You need safe backscoring characters with this affiliation. The only one in affiliation you have at the moment with, Wep- uh, with Weapon X specifically is Domino. And even then, you don't necessarily want her all the way back because then you're not getting any value out of her. Uh, then, then you're just left with Cable if you're playing the X-Force side of things. So this automatically brings something to the table that the affiliation needs. But I want to talk about first round plays with Laura Kinney. X23. Okay. Yep. Being able to get her up the field, activate, shoot, and then bump Laura up, Laura goes to assault whoever got shot at, right? These are all very, very, very strong things. And just the added support from Got Your Back, it's a very fighty team. That's huge. Uh, mm. But the added support from being able to simply get some arms people up in those teams that they do not have much action economy uh, outside of a couple of characters. So I think they're just a wonderful straw to stir the drink in that affiliation. I don't think that they're absolutely necessary. I think they're an interesting thought and an interesting play style. I think if you bring them, it opens up a few things, but it also closes a couple doors too. So nothing wrong with a three threat character that can shoot from range. Really? I like them a lot in weapon X, X X-Force. Uh, and I, they're going to be making my roster here very soon. Keep in mind too, they can just siblings in
0: arms cable right before exactly. he even ask body
1: slides right. So yeah, at worst, they're just enabling an already pretty powerful character. And yeah. I know there's some cable maligners out there. And I just want to preface what I just said. <laughs> he is a very powerful character in the right spots. If the if the, if the the crisis scenario is against him or if it's a bad matchup, he's better left off the table.
0: Oh, uh, he's just like Thor. He's one exactly. of the most powerful characters in the game if he has power. Exactly. So, right? so a lot of that goes on how
1: your power building goes and how your opponent deals with Cable. and Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos can help that because maybe now you don't have to pay for body slide. Sure. First round. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got
0: more throws online because we've always talked about. Exactly. I've always kind of sang the praises of you should be throwing with Cable every round because he has a Magneto level throw, which is unheard of in this game, quite honestly, outside of Magneto. so
1: That is Chris's tiny, tiny, tiny section
0: of Affiliation Corner. Very exciting. Well, closing out with the shield discussion, it should be obvious, but they, they help you get your shield people in place. They help you get more got your backs off so you get more attack saturation outside of your own turn, which S.H.I.E.L.D. loves. And they give you a little bit of movement, which S.H.I.E.L.D. does not have, quite honestly. They also give you S.H.I.E.L.D. a tiny bit of chase, which S.H.I.E.L.D. lacks outside of Spider-Woman and Agent Venom. So it's like they give you chase in the way of they can hop themselves or they can hop allies further up before they go to actually chase because S.H.I.E.L.D. is so so horrendously bad at chasing. It's not even funny. It's their biggest weakness
1: in the game. So Well, and they've also got Pursuit, which does help on the chase.
0: It does. So an absolute essential piece in S.H.I.E.L.D., an absolute incredible model. We haven't talked about the model yet, but I mean, it's custom base, Hydra Ruins, Gabriel's throwing the grenade, Mm. Dum Dum's shooting, and Fury's commanding. Um, I put a cigar in my Fury's mouth. Had
1: to happen. Well done. Well done. Dum Dum's bowler on point. Whew. Yeah, bowler and mustache, yep. It's a pretty impressive model to get three distinctive and, and very different-looking characters to maintain that visual distinct distinctiveness in each of the three characters on the model is pretty impressive. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash fury's finest.
0: Of course, you can follow the show on Twitter at Furious Finest Cast and Instagram, Facebook, and Twitch at Furious Finest. Email us at gmail.com and leave us reviews on your favorite podcast platform of choice. It really helps us out. And even if some of you are multi-podcast platform users, if you can leave us reviews on all those that you use, it means a
1: lot. And like Jesse said, guys, keep rating, keep reviewing. It means the world. We see you guys. We're honestly extremely blown away and humbled every time we have to talk about this and I'm sorry we have to talk about it so much, but this is the world we live in. It is. But but thank you so much. We're, We're like, like I said, love you guys. Constantly humbled. The MCP community is
0: unrivaled. Of course, yeah, and it is the world we live in. But I mean, also, Chris, I know a lot of people can't support us via Patreon. I mean, most of the listeners don't. So it's like one of those things where if you want to support us in a small way, following our social media pages and leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice does help us out. Does help people find the show, and does help help get more people get into MCP, which is what we ultimately want to do and create. Thanks very game. Of course, you can find Chris and I on various places online. You can find me Jesse on. Twitter, and Instagram, and Longshanks at Jesse Aiken. That's J S S E E A K I N. And check out my new Star Wars Shatterpoint podcast. Hello there, everywhere podcasts can be found, and on social media at Hello There Cast. That show's going very well. We're in full swing. These episodes have been massive undertaking right at the front. It's it's been a fun challenge for me as a creator and. um Amon's a credible co-host um, that brings it every week. We've got a lot of stuff in the works for that show. So it's it's only the beginning. Chris, where can everyone
1: find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett uh, where nothing's going on at the moment and that's okay. That's my Twitter too. Yeah. And that's, uh, well, that's going to change soon. I've got some, got some big things coming for you guys as soon as possible. I'm real Love bad it. at not being able to keep my mouth shut about things. So uh, eventually it will happen. Stay tuned for After Dark or something. Absolutely. But we hope you guys enjoyed more dives
0: into S.H.I.E.L.D. Until next time. Thanks for listening. True believers.
1: Excelsior. The world has gotten even stranger than you already know. At this point, I doubt anything would surprise me. 10 bucks says you're wrong.